Thank you to Melt Science for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Melt Science is a subscription service that offers monthly science boxes, which combines hands-on experiments with VR and AR technologies to engage all of us in studying science. They strive to make studying serious science accessible and ma- mainly look cool as well. So uh, in this particular episode, we have got the hydrophobic box part of the uh, physics science kit. So this is just one of the kits from the physics module. They actually have a physics kits. They have chemistry kits as well as general science kits. So uh, as you can see, or for the video listeners out there, uh, we have a hydrophobic kit where when we put water on these three different materials, one of them gets fully absorbed, one of them gets partially absorbed, and the other, you can see the water just dangling on top. And for another experiment, we see some hydrophobic sand, and we see its relationship with the water, and we see some really cool uh, artifacts in the water. Once we try to dip that spoon in and really try to get that sand out, we just see a powdery surface coming right out. So uh, it's some pretty cool stuff. Again, just one of the kits that they have out of many physics kits. So go check them out. Uh, For all of those listeners that are listening to this, you can go click the link in the description below or type in the code MP50 or scan the QR code somewhere on the screen here for a 50% discount. That's half off your first month of Mel Science boxes. So why don't you check it out, see what's up, and enjoy the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to episode number 107, where today we are going to be talking a little bit about what we did in our summers. I think it's been quite a long time for those of you that are you know, rapidly keeping up with us, quite a long time since we posted. So uh, what we did in our summers, some quite uh, fruitful experiences as compared to what we do in school. So I think we're going to talk a little bit about that, you know, what we have prepared for our final year of school. Damn. Ooh, that's crazy. <laughs> final year of undergraduate school. Yeah. Or no, I shouldn't say school, yeah. Undergraduate, Undergrad. for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. That's feels, basically today. It feels good to be back on the for podcast. Sure. You might have noticed. I know we, we I received a DM yesterday. Uh, I think his name was Jacob. Um, <laughs> he was asking where we were. <laughs> Uh, and here we are. No, we took we definitely took a break. I think it's a mixture of being busy with like school related things and mm. also life relating <laughs> things. I think I think last month was mainly life relating things because especially for me, it was kind of like the whole month was a month of vacation. So I had a lot of fun. So it was kind of like before our final year of school, you know, just wanted to get it all out of me and then come back. So we literally almost didn't have any time to record because it was mainly my fault. So there is some someone to blame. But yeah, it was basically both of us, though. It was life getting yeah. in the way as well. Yeah. So we just let summer be summer. You know, maybe the podcast can also take a break once in a while. You know, I guess you have seasons of podcasts and stuff oh, yeah. that happens. Oh, yeah. So, season two right here. <laughs> season two, right? Season no, two this is season, starting. No, this is like season three. 
Well, it's the only break. Oh, because it's the only break. Yeah. Okay, so I thought you meant yeah. like year by year, but yeah. So I guess I guess season two. One thing can... that's interesting yeah. though is that we started the podcast after our first year of university. So I wonder, like, if you were to listen to us talk as first years, technically, like, do we just sound dumb? You know, <laughs> compared to now, because I feel like if I were to talk to a first year, I'd be like, you know, like, there's probably a better way to explain that. You know, I feel like any explanation you give as a first year. There's probably a better way to explain it, you know, um, with like I, I, the I mathematical think, yeah, knowledge yeah, that you gain. Because I just think you, I mean, you just know so much more. Yeah. But I mean, it, it kind of depends on the first year. There are definitely That's some true. first years. That is true. But um, I'm talking about like me and you. Yeah. You know? Well, okay, me and you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we've definitely come quite a long way. Yeah. We've definitely come quite a long way. Also, bro, your volume is. Oh, you might yeah, want to lower I, that I a little bit. I think I'm just close to the mic. Oh, okay. Okay. Fantastic. So yeah. So I think if we spoke to our first year selves, we would definitely, maybe not appreciate maybe not love us that much maybe we'll be like yo you know get, get in your lane because i think we we definitely thought we were that much no nah, i don't think so no i don't i thought no because again as i keep saying i always thought i was smarter back then than i am now oh, <laughs> i don't think so i don't because i was like because i because I, I know so much more how much i don't know i keep saying that yeah. but yeah so yeah that's it <laughs> anyways um you might have noticed that we are sitting on a couch right now if you're watching the youtube if you're video, watching the youtube video um, i know a lot of people just listen to us but uh, for the visual uh consumers out there we're not sitting at a table we're sitting on a couch mm-hmm. why uh mainly because this is how our living room is set up oh now. yeah we're <laughs> in a new place by the way we're in a new apartment because oh, our last episode was online it was on zoom yeah yeah so we're in a new place now yeah so now we had yeah. we, we had our couch here so we said you know what let's just Let's just put the cameras up and sit down mm. on the couch. It's it's nice, you know. It's relaxed because we I would have to like. I think I think yeah. I like it to be honest. I don't think it's it nice. has to be this whole like looking. I mean, if we need, we have our iPads here, so yeah. it is what it is. No, because we would have to severely rearrange. Yeah. For um. Other than us that, to get that, you might moment. notice right here that there is a piece of merch <laughs> that I'm I'm holding in my hand so right funny. now. Okay, we get it. <laughs> we we get what you're gonna say, but here's the thing. I wrote down in my schedule, in my agenda, <laughs> that on Saturday we're gonna set up the merch store, and we're gonna we're definitely gonna do it. We have to go to the bank. We have to do stuff at the bank to connect the bank account, all that stuff. We're gonna set up the store, and we're gonna publish it, and we're gonna let you guys know that the merch store is up and ready for orders. Yeah. Other than yeah. that, I think we can get into the podcast. Oh now. wait, we forgot about. Oh, yeah. Comment one not of the week anymore, but comment of the episode. Comment of the episode. So, yeah. So, last episode was history of physics. A lot of people were asking for that. So, um, we had a lot of fun oh, researching. A yeah. lot of fun that doing a, that. That was a really popular episode, by the way. That was a really good episode. Look, look at that volume, bro. I'm, I'm saying you you might want to turn no, it down just a bit. Just I'm, I'm saying I, I, I've been seeing some sporadic volumes. Sorry for that. <laughs> but, yeah. So, definitely a fun episode to record it's a fun episode of research. It was uh, Faraday and Tesla, for those of you that didn't catch the last episode. And um, yeah, so the comment of the week is, or comment of the, whatever, <laughs> is, uh, is kind of related to that. And uh, Sid Suchdeva, they say, I've been waiting for this episode since the first History of Science Math series. Let's go. I can't wait to start my astrophysics journey in like a month. So I'm assuming he's going to college in a month. Um, thank you guys for reigniting my physics fire. Nice. Thank you, Sid, for that lovely comment, and you're very welcome for reigniting that fire. That is that is the whole point of the podcast. It's just to have people go and uh, find all of the mistakes that we made and learn something on the way. 
you know well like i mean i think that's a like beautiful you, way you, to summarize you, it. you hear something that we say and you go that doesn't sound right but as you go and research for mm -hmm. yourself you mm -hmm. learn something <laughs> yeah which makes you in turn smarter so. i think i was talking to either parker about this or someone else about this the other day and i was literally just uh thinking that or, or I, I was i was telling them like the main purpose of even like our history of physics episode like we don't go like when we talk about the episodes and the experiments and whatnot, it's kind of, it's still, we do go into the level, but like, it's still very much just getting you interested into what they actually did, for example. I think the best part of the history episodes is that it provides, because we do this in class, like our professors present the physicists that came up with the ideas and it just provides a context as to how we came up or we as like it, within history, mm -hmm. how the physicists before us came up and came upon these ideas and these theories. And then now we're here. Yeah. So that's I think it definitely gives you that perspective, but apart from, I mean, uh, and, and add on to that, it definitely tells you, Hey, now that they're talking about this, th this experiment, cause actually I was re listening to it and I'm like, Hey, I kind of want to research more on this myself. And I'm like, this is the entire point of our podcast, <laughs> you know, to listen to what we're saying. And then be like, oh, wait, I want to research more on this topic. Yeah. And then, wow, you're educated. Yeah. You know, like because there's no way for us to talk about something and paint the full picture. There's no way. Right. The all all yeah. we can do is introduce mm -hmm. at most. Mm -hmm. So. So that is what it is. Another news. Um we have a bunch of downloads and followers. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I don't have the numbers. The way, the way that you said that, we have 615,000 no, yeah, downloads 615,000. So it's really slowly, cool. Slowly getting closer to a million. On Spotify, we're at like 31,000 something followers. We recently, and recently I mean like maybe in the past month, yeah. we reached 5,000 on Google, like 5,000 followers on Google. So... Shout out to Google. Thank you for following us wherever you're following us and listening to us wherever you're listening to us. If you want to watch us, come check out yeah. our YouTube. We're going to start um, posting more. And I had an idea. I didn't even talk. I didn't even tell you about this, but I had an idea like because posting podcasts like these nowadays in our fourth year, we have a lot of projects and assignments and time consuming um, activities. We can try making like different formats of podcasts, like okay. maybe shorter form podcasts, sure. maybe like some more creative ideas in, in presenting um, like content. And maybe we can do like math. quick facts in physics. Something like that. Like, well, your weekly facts I or I don't know. I don't nah. know. Something or I don't know. Like maybe a, not facts. Maybe like, nah, like, like a, like an, maybe like, I don't know, like, I don't a, know, like a 30 minute episode about something quick. Who knows? Anyways. Could be many things. Anyways. Yeah. This is just an idea right now. Ideas spitting out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this summer, I was actually part of the uh, summer undergraduate research program at the University of Toronto slash David A. Dunlap Institute of Astronomy and Astrophysics, which is just the, the name of the department here at U of T. Um, and so, basically, I got to pick out of like a list of projects and then I landed on one and I got to do that for the summer and um this episode I will be describing exactly what I did all summer because it's 
pretty interesting actually mm-hmm. i i really enjoyed my summer i got some research experience i got to do some fun things um in the department and there was also a whole bunch of like events not events but like like they would give talks specifically for the summer students um it was really cool really a really good learning experience yeah you because you did a whole course didn't you like like you did a whole course in the beginning technically, and then technically right. so it's pretty cool yeah as a summer student they offer um a course in computational astrophysics before you start your research and it's a two-week course um and you go in every day for four hours and you do computational stuff (laughs) i don't remember exactly what we did but there were a bunch of units i remember one unit was on machine learning one learn one unit was on fourier transforms like fft yeah um one unit was on those like the also the basic stuff like plotting with python Mm. All that stuff. Um, for some reason, also GitHub. Yeah. We learned about GitHub is GitHub. so important so for like important. everybody. By the way, yeah, this is like a shout out to GitHub for everyone listening here who doesn't oh. have a GitHub. Oh my god, it's very recommended to either understand how it works or you know to have one yourself first of all. Yeah, because it's very useful to you know be able to well access it. Number one, and number two, it's it's such a shareable item. You know, it's like it's like the first thing that you would want to do when mm-hmm. you're like, hey, check my code on GitHub. It's so important, especially if. Um, you're doing an actual like real life project with people. Mm-hmm. It's so universal, right? You have this file on Git and you can do like branches and stuff and add f- different features that won't affect the main code. And mm. it's all like, it's such a perfect way. Yeah, no, but it, it definitely gets confusing. It definitely gets, oh, definitely. like I haven't really gone all the way through GitHub, but like it definitely gets confusing with like origins and uh, no no not not origins what is it is it origins or like is it like 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 what does it call like the different i don't branches? know branches i guess i guess yeah. am i talking about branches i guess again i don't even know the names for them but like if you show me like a console i can probably do it yeah. but it was, it's just it's just so much to know mm-hmm. that uh it's 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 really good if you learn it on the side because again it's very good for collaboration and yeah. whatnot so definitely good tool to have anyways yeah, yeah. <laughs> continue yeah. And also, if you already know GitHub and you're trying to do research uh, in the future, people appreciate that, right? Like, you go up to a supervisor and you show him your, um, like, you show him your CV, and you can also send him or even put a link to your GitHub to your CV. Yeah, and that's why you know it's such a good thing, especially for professors, you as you were saying, or anyone really who's either looking to hire you, looking to take you under for research, looking to take you anywhere. It's just a good thing to have because now they know, number one, either you can use it and number two, hey, you have your own. So it's, it's always a plus. Especially if it looks good too. If, you're, Especially if, if, if it your looks landing good. page on GitHub yeah. looks good, yeah. it's just like, wow, this guy knows like what he's doing. Yeah, no, for and sure. That's a good impression. A good GitHub make. is a good person. Definitely. <laughs> so yeah, we did that. Uh, during the course and I learned a bunch of skills one cool things that um, one of the assignments that I did was actually Producing the Mandelbrot set just from scratch. That is cool on Python. I think you showed me um, that right? That I did, is, I yeah, did that, show you that yeah, it was that is really it, cool. it was really cool. Um, another thing was um, Plotting the uh, Lorenz attractor On Python well, you from me that, scratch. But I forget what that was. I did you know the butterfly. Oh, but it w- so explain this to a little bit like what 
what it, what did you do to plot these? Okay, well, the Lorenz Attractor, it looks like a butterfly. And in short, it's a demonstration of chaos because essentially, if you know anything about chaos theory, the initial conditions of it, it's a it's a set of differential equations. Okay. I think it's three differential equations, and depending on the initial conditions, your trajectory will change a lot, very much. And it's an unstable or it's a it's a stable solution with two nodes, two stable nodes, and it's very like the behavior is very very interesting, and it's a very famous problem in in uh, computational physics. Well, I'm getting and into it. it, it so it's a fun. it's it's actually the original where it came from was atmospheric physics basically modeling how the air flows in the atmosphere based on like the gradient of the temperature and things like that yeah uh yeah but now it it just looks really cool veritasium has a video on it as well uh so if you want to go i think we've spoken about it as well anyways uh we did that and the conclusion to that course was picking like a mini project and doing the project and writing a small report. I did a project on analyzing trends in astrophysics. And it was quite interesting. I got to deal with a package. I forget what the package is called, but... Um, TensorFlow? No, no. It's, you it's didn't use uh, TensorFlow? No, I didn't. It's, TensorFlow is a like, neural network, machine learning. Did you do ML, though? No, not, not, not during the summer oh. of my project. Um, no. It was it was a package to query a database. Oh, SQL. Yeah, well, SQL is like a type of yeah. Qu- did you query? But oh, you're talking about the pack, like the package to use that. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Um. And essentially, I came up with, I I wrote my own Python package with functions nice. that can help you analyze trends. So cool. Um, and that was cool. It's a little bit. I would have to show you <laughs> essentially to describe my project, but. Um, so what are the trends that they... Well, relating to my project, I analyzed the relationship... What's your project, mate? You haven't said that. Well, I'm going to get to it. Okay, okay. <laughs> but it has to do with ultra-diffuse galaxies. And so I looked at the uh, rise in popularity of certain terms that show up in papers that were published over the years and how the use of dark matter and the use of ultra diffuse galaxies in abstracts or titles of papers uh, show up and you can see how uh, there's a correlation between those two terms. And in the fifties, there was not a lot of use for dark matter because mm-hmm. it was just coming up as a, as a subject. Um, and nowadays it goes up. It's kind of like a little exponential and there's some interesting behavior going on there. Uh, but yeah, Right after that course, boom, I started my research. (laughs) Uh, So I actually worked on a project called the Dragonfly Telephoto Array. And it's essentially a telescope made up of 48 cameras, I guess, with telephoto lenses. And there's a reason, there's a scientific reason that um, is not really important, but the, the gist is that the telescope performs really well at capturing low surface brightness objects. And it actually, um, it turns out that images that are being produced by the Dragonfly Telephoto Array are able to capture uh, galaxies that are 
ultra diffuse, which means that are super, super low in brightness that we have never been able to see before. Um, and more specifically, it captures uh, images in the visible uh, the visible area of mm -hmm. the electromagnetic uh, spectrum. Um, so yeah, that is the that is the project I worked on. What did I do? Well, the first thing that I did, uh, I got started on working with the image stabilization inside of the individual camera lenses because what happens is that we have these modules, let's say, each module has 24 camera lenses attached to it. And that entire module rotates together um, to keep track of an object because overnight, if you take long exposures, um, the, the galaxies in the sky and the stars that you're looking at will rotate because the earth is spinning. And so to keep track of the object, the entire module rotates against the rotation of the earth to keep things stable. Now, however, these cameras are um, mounted up onto this module and the mount is made of stuff. It's made of material, metal, plastic, all kinds of parts. And these things tend to bend and flex and move. Even if it's very small movements, these can be captured um, in the images as very diffuse photons are coming in from space and into the lens. Even a very small little tilt, a little bend will change how the image is being um, captured on the CCD. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and so inside of each lens, each camera lens, there is a single lens that moves translationally, um, which translates the image that is being um, absorbed, I guess, onto the CCD. Um, and that is what we use to stabilize the very microscopic changes that can arise in just the telescope existing in the physical world and materials bending and moving and unpredictable events happening. Um, so that is what I worked on. The first thing I had to do was uh, use Python um, and work with uh, like very small computers they are called Raspberry Pis, that which control the actual lenses. And I had to go in and figure out how to take pictures. I had like a little, little setup with one camera lens um, in the lab. I got to take pictures and display them and figure out how to do continuous display of images because if you're trying to figure out how an image has moved, you need to compare, right? Image one to mm -hmm. image two and see how the objects have moved and how you need to correct for that movement. And so we need a continuous display of images. And then after that, it's about um, finding the features in like easily trackable features in the image and then tracking them throughout the exposure and then taking your translational lens and moving it accordingly such that the image will appear to not move at all during an exposure. So, yeah. yeah. I need a sip of water real quick. Oh, I got water right here. If you want. I got some, yeah. yeah, that's really cool, man. I can definitely see how that's uh, very useful for sure. <laughs> As uh, you were saying, you're helping, you know, stabilize the image literally. 
And now you can obviously, as you can, <coughs> now that you did this with one lens, lens you can do it with exactly all of them. And then voila. Exactly. But is there an issue when you like, because I'm assuming like. There were lots of issues. That's what I'm like. No, but when you add the other lenses, I'm assuming it definitely, it's, it's not as easy as just adding the lens and doing the same thing, right? Well, it is actually. Oh. <laughs> it is that easy. I thought there would be like some other. Because um, the way that an image is compiled from Dragonfly is that all the images are taken from all the lenses. They are all reduced. And so their flat field correction is applied. Oh, so it's all like one image. Or no, individually. Okay. And then the images are stitched together. Right. And that is your final image. And so you need to stabilize every single image yeah. as it's being exposed to the sky so that it's a clear Before image. Before it gets into and the then you And then you reduce it and yeah. produce a single image. Um, so a lot of issues arose in this process. I didn't actually get to um, the like actually stabilizing images because there were errors um, that were out of my control um, that much smarter people on the team were handling. And so in order to be useful, I was put on a different task. And that task had to do with uh, data organization and data visualization for the telescope. Um, and this was the main part of the year. Actually, I only spent about a month on image stabilization and the other three months were spent doing this. Um, technically, you can also throw cloud computing into that, um, into that uh, basket. Uh, but yeah, I can talk about that later. Do you want to? Sure. I can, cause I, yeah. cause, cause I can kind of talk about two different things. Cause, uh, this summer was more of a, or a little bit more of a relaxer for me. Wasn't much of a, much of a research driven summer still did things, but you know, less intense. Um, my last summer, I mean, not as intense as yours, but, uh, it was definitely a little cool cause I've definitely spoken about it before. It's crazy that it's a whole summer ago. Cause I swear, like it just happened. I've been thinking about it. That was like a whole year yeah. and some months ago. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Anyways, so um, with Dr. Rastegu, actually. Um, who we had on the podcast. Who we had on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I forget which, what was the name? It was a really cool name. Quantum a theory of everything. A theory of everything. A theory of everything. That was a really cool name. So we're most probably going to, <coughs> sorry, um, going to have him on another podcast to talk about the research we did together. But uh, basically, yeah, so last summer was spent kind of doing some stuff with him. Um, it wasn't really discovering many new things as much as testing things that were already there and kind of like, you know, figuring out the best one or almost which one is like most representative. But unfortunately, we didn't get to the very final part because as I was talking about it, he actually moved to University of Alberta. So he is no longer at York University where he used to teach. So, I mean, congratulations to him. But, uh, yeah, so there, were, there was like a bunch of stuff that happened in the middle, basically. And we couldn't really finish it. But um, it was still a little cool. So I can still talk a little bit about it. Um, basically, it was very, very, very computational to the point where I, like, the theory still goes, to, like, to this day, still goes over my head quite a lot. Uh, because the papers that I had to read for, like, my readings were, like, 
like literally papers written by him and like mm-hmm. his team <laughs> and i'm like what are you giving me to read mate like mm-hmm. i can't i can't read this but anyway so obviously it's it, it stemmed from uh, like you know reading a lot of google like that's actually actually how a lot of research works but actually and, that's yeah. something that um people know right what? like if you're if you're a, a phd yeah. physicist doing research and you're dealing with undergrad students you know that they won't understand a lot. And actually in class today, um, my professor, this is for like an astrophysics research course, my professor said that um, we're going to have to, like to get caught up on the literature when we start a research project, um, we have to read like papers and reviews of things. And a lot of it is difficult to Mm -hmm. read. She, She even said like, as a fourth year student, this like these are difficult to read that's just how it goes that's just how it goes but just even not understanding really what you're reading but just reading it and mm. absorbing mm. the material is a little bit helpful it's a little bit helpful you have to do it but, eventually but no right? well that's number 1 but but let, but let me tell you why number 2 because a lot of times and this like happened to me multiple times like when i read like the really hard paper and because, again, as you very well said, they know it's hard, like when they give it to you. And that's a big thing about research, you know, like you're starting to get into it. And sometimes you're like, damn, what am I doing? No, <laughs> like, really, what am I doing? But then, you know, it kind of pieces itself together and it's kind of coming along. So, like, it it all kind of just adds itself up into one good piece of machinery after you've already gone through the little hardships, because I feel like. After you read it and don't understand it, and then like let's say you're talking to your professor about it, and then he says a few words and you're like, oh wait, I remember reading that word, and then you go back and read it a second time, mm-hmm. and then you might Google something, and then you go back and read it a third time, and that's the power. That's always how maybe it the goes. Fourth time, maybe the fifth time, it'll be like, oh wait, this is kind of making sense. I understand why this is this, you know, and that's and that's the crazy, and that's like the crazy big revolution behind a lot of reading things that you don't understand or just sometimes just like even watching things i guess nowadays with youtube there are definitely some let's say advanced youtube channels out there for a lot of people and i'm sure if you watch like some crazy physics videos sometimes you're like oh damn i don't know what they're saying but watching it again you might have a better idea the third time might be even better one thing uh one thing my my buddhism teacher this guy's in said, Buddhism class. I have a Buddhism Isn't that class. Oh, was, I had to take a, an elective. So, you no, know, I was going to be in that class, but it didn't fit with my class. It yeah. didn't fit with one of my required courses, so I couldn't. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, but, that would have um, been cool. One thing she said is that as a student, you need to understand that not understanding is part of learning. Boom. And so a lot of the times you're going to be in university let's say you're in physics Mm. you're gonna be in your physics class just writing down what's on the board and not understanding a single word of it and that's okay (laughs) because that is that is part of learning just having no idea because if you already knew what was being told then you wouldn't be learning and what are you paying for then Mm. you know you're you're paying to be perplexed and then to to solve those problems within your brain you don't want to be told the answers exactly you want to be told how to get them how to get there my ta people are for my ta uh for my electrodynamics course he said he said oh i took a similar class 
when I was an undergraduate and I knew like I use the same tech. Everybody uses Griffiths. He's like, I was also aware that there is a PDF of the solutions and I use that PDF as well. And so <laughs> all I have to say is that try not to just <laughs> copy down the answers. <laughs> 100%. And uh, one thing he said is that he was as he was correcting or grading things last year, some students got 100 percent on the um, problem sets, all of the problem sets, 100 percent. And on the final, one person got zero. A hundred percent on every single problem set, and on the exam they got zero and failed <laughs> the class. Of course, <laughs> literally, they, they ended with less than a fifty. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm pretty sure it's a requirement in that class to pass the exam, isn't it? Well, they, I think they changed the the weight because <laughs> oh, my exam this year is worth seventy percent. Which is, which is crazy. It's the highest Whoa. highest weighted exam I've 70 ever had. 70% exam is crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. 350? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Damn, what were you talking about? What were you talking about? My thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where was that? You said uh, you were I think I was just, yeah, I was talking about like, yeah, reading the complicated material. So, um, yeah, mo mo most of my time was spent reading complicated material. And most of the stuff that we actually had to do was kind of cool, actually. So... Okay, I, I mean, I guess I can kind of get into it just like a little bit because, again, I don't really understand the theory, like really d like the fundamentals, but I can probably just talk about it on a very easy level. So basically what we did is we were trying to solve for equations of motion of space because remember in like uh, taking general relativity, we're saying that, hey, space curves everywhere and uh, given something like a black hole, for example, space curves around that in a certain way. So what we were trying to solve for was equations of motion around black of, of space around black holes. And again, like this is the part that I don't read. Like, I, I don't really get where we used a lot of these theories. But like, again, just the computation was mainly like what I was doing and just finding different ways to do it. So it was not that much as in theory digging as I was doing. But um, yeah, it was mainly just understanding. Okay, so we have multiple theories to describe the universe, right? We have, they're all proposed. String theory is one of them. Another is loop quantum gravity. I'm sure there are others that I can't think of at the top of my head. Would you know whether the theory, another kind of, I guess, a field theory, I don't know, like like describing the universe. I'm sure there are others. Oh, but there's one actually that Roger Penrose came up with. And actually, it's pretty interesting because Albert Einstein said at one point, and this is kind of a secondhand quote. Yeah. He said, Jesus. But he said that the physicists of the future will need to investigate a form of discrete mathematics in order to properly describe the universe. Um, so that's what Roger Penrose tried to do. He tried to employ some type of like discrete algebra into this theory. Wow. I forget what it's called. But there's a funny name for it. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Did it end up? Is he, I mean, I'm assuming it's still like one of the <coughs> theories that is still like trying to be. It got. Oh, I think it's called Twister Theory. That sounds cool. Twister Theory? Something like that. That definitely sounds cool. Something like that. Yeah. But it's uh, it was incorporated into another theory that. Um, yeah. Oh, 
Isn't super symmetry super string theory? Is that a thing? Super string theory? I don't know. I don't. Know. I, it's just words. Super at this string point. theory? I don't think I've, I. I could be wrong. I don't think I've heard that. It's just super words. Super string theory? I wouldn't know the first thing to to describe. I'm not sure. I, I could be mistaken. But anyways, so like yeah, lo- lots of theories to describe the universe and. The uh, one that the uh, my professor, Dr. Rastegu, was currently studying was loop quantum gravity. And uh, the advantage, again, don't ask me these questions, but like th- these are just like things that I kind of know from what he said, is that, again, like I, I, I don't really know how a lot of them <laughs> make sense, but just like I'm it. just going to say it. Say like it. loop quantum gravity is like, because the whole issue, sorry, sorry, but like the whole issue between quantum mechanics and general relativity right now is that they like don't, it's like, what's like the whole issue? Like you, you can't really bring general relativity down to quantum mechanics or something like that, yeah, right? They're, they're like it's not really, they're inconsistent in some measures. So loop, not inconsistent. It just doesn't. Like doesn't hold in some cases. Like they don't no, share. It's, it's not that it doesn't hold. It's just, there's no real bridge. But like if you take, quantum mechanics okay the idea this is basically the idea you have quantum mechanics and you can say things about particles and whatever in one yeah now add more particles and zoom out you don't get gr which is what should happen right because if you add more particles and you get bigger things bigger objects that are just composed of quantum particles if you were to just apply quantum mechanics to every single one of the particles and see what happens to the object as a whole you don't get general relativity so that's the issue that, that's the issue that's very like tough one doesn't lead to the other mm. and then obviously general relativity doesn't lead to quantum yeah. mechanics because <laughs> what does it say about particles you know well like then that's the whole point of loop quantum gravity so like well, i mean i guess it does say something about particles except you're not going to have something like a proton gravitationally bound to a proton, right? That doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's good. Because at that scale, it's strong, strong yeah, force. Yeah, the gravi- and, gravity and, doesn't really And do electro much. force, electro weak, uh, strong, whatever. So, I mean, what <clears throat> I, again, have heard from my knowledge is like loop quantum gravity is like trying to, or at least this theory is like trying to bridge that gap of obviously everyone kind of is. And him being a particle physicist, himself or kind of kind of like more cosmologist himself is trying to bridge this gap and one mm-hmm. of the things we were studying is well these equations of motion so like the way we we're doing it it's kind of cool again just hear my words and then maybe search it up but like don't really again so the cghs model which is a bunch of it's basically four people um again the, their names are somewhere in my report but i don't really remember it so it's like the, the cghs model is is actually a really cool model. So general relativity is very complicated. Why? Because it's three plus one dimensions, and it's very a lot of things happen in three plus one dimensions, like prop, like propagating gravity waves. Gravity waves is one of the biggest things can, that can only happen in three plus one dimensions, and no other subsequent dimensions. But I think there's another way of viewing something that allows gravity waves. But anyways, so the CGHS model is basically general relativity, but two-dimensional so like one plus one d so like one space and one time dimension so basically simplifies everything but uh, it still has like the intrinsic properties of what general relativity has to really offer so what the what basically the task was was or 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 what we had to do was the cghs model obviously had this or, or not obviously but had this thing called the action 
I'm sure we've heard of it. So the action that described basically the motion of space dictated by this model in this scenario. So the scenario that we are dealing with, we're not near the black hole quite yet. But in this scenario, we're simply trying to understand, okay, how does this action deal with this whole situation? So here we have, we have the action dictated by some crazy formula, of course, not going to get into the actual math of it. The idea, however, is to take this value and compute some things. So what do we compute? We first compute the Lagrangian. We can directly get the Lagrangian from the action. Remember, the action is basically another way of saying these are all the potential paths of this object taking. So for example, um, in space, in spherically symmetric like loop quantum gravity, like in, in space, how this object will move will be given by the action. All the different paths that it can take. So... The Lagrangian, again, we've, I'm, I'm sure we've spoken about this. We had a whole classical mechanics episode on this very topic. So I'm sure, uh, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the Lagrangian. But basically, the reason for doing the Lagrangian you know, conversion is because of something called the Legendre transformation. Now, I don't really know too much about the Legendre transformation. But basically, the idea is to take the Lagrangian and to convert it to something that all quantum mechanicists love, which is the Hamiltonian. Now, the Hamiltonian has multiple benefits in quantum mechanics and multiple benefits by itself. Uh, I think Parker and I were talking just before this where the Hamiltonian primarily provides just easier math and it basically allows us to do a lot of things at a much easier and much faster rate. All right, I'm back. I have a few comments on what you said. The Legendre transformation? <laughs> no, okay, um, oh. you said something about the action, that the action... Um, it's basically all the paths. No, so the action is actually... Is that not There's right? a definition to okay, the action. Okay, like an actual definition. The, Shoot. The, the action is the integral of the Lagrangian. Right, yeah. Well, I didn't over, say that. Over some path. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so the path that... Well... It, no, the, no it's, it's the integral of the Lagrangian over the, over the space. So it's like all, all the paths well, it's, is the action. It's a, it's a time integral, right? Right, it's, it's right exactly. It's a DT. So From one time to another. So right? it's all of the paths. That's what I'm saying. Right. That's the action, isn't it? Well, it's... Isn't that the action? Well, it depends on the path. That's the thing. Well, yeah. The action depends on the path. And the, the idea is that the path that a particle will take is the path that minimizes the action. Yeah, that's the, that's the Lagrangian, because the Lagrangian is the partial derivative of the action with time, so the one that minimizes that, right? Or Wait, is the partial derivative of the action with time? Because, because... Sure. Oh, I guess. Obviously, because yeah, okay, action yeah, is yeah, integral, yeah, right? right? So that's what I'm saying. But so, is, is, it was, was, wasn't that the whole thing? But, no, but that's not related to... Like, you're saying the action is all the paths. Isn't that... It's not Isn't like the, the action telling you like the, where this thing can go? The action Isn't that the idea of no, the action? The action depends on the path that the particle takes. Right? Because if if a particle I that's the Lagrange, if, that's the Lagrange if the, or am I getting them mixed up? If a particle takes a certain path from time zero to time one, right? And you integrate over that path, you get a certain amount of action. Right. Yeah. Then you get another action. So you're trying to. But if you take a different path, you get a different action, right? So the one action is not associated to all the paths. One, like one S, is associated mm. to. 
So action is more like just telling over. you like how it can get there, but it's not telling yeah. you like the action is the basically way. just a quantity. So what do you have to? But then so so it's, then you do have to minimize the Lagrangian, right? Or no, no, do you have to you, you minimize min, just you, the you minimize the action to find the path. So minimizing the action is just the variation <laughs> that you're minimizing, right? So yeah. how, so it, the way you do that. So then where does? Okay, so basically, what I've understood so far. Yeah. So the action you're saying, I mean, okay, yeah. Now that you put it that way, yeah, it is, it would obviously be path dependent because it's it's yeah, the principle no, of least if, action, yeah, the right? The principle of least action is the whole That's, thing. So right, you want right. to differentiate the action, the action, right, with respect to the path, right? Not t, right, right, <coughs> right, right, right. You're man, you're trying My to minimize that. My throat is so that. dry, right? Yeah, now. no, I feel that, man. That's crazy. <laughs> Right, so better understanding of the action. Fantastic. You want to say anything about the Legendre transformation? Because oh, I was yeah. talking about that too. Okay, so if anybody knows anything about um, the Lagrangian, the Euler-Lagrange equations give you... So for each generalized coordinate, there's one Euler-Lagrange equation. Mm. And these equations are second order in time. So mm. they're, So you get... If you have n generalized coordinates, you get n second order differential equations that you have to solve. We all know that first order differential equations are easier. So even if you had more, they would be easier to solve. And so what, um, so the, I'll say it like this. The Lagrangian is a function of the generalized coordinates <coughs> and then the time derivatives of the generalized coordinates. And then also sometimes time. Um, the Hamiltonian, however, is a function of the generalized coordinate and the generalized momentum of each generalized coordinate. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and what happens is that the equations of motion have to do with the generalized momentum as well as the time derivative of the generalized momentum. But they happen to be first order equations of motion. Mm. However, you get two. You get one for P, which is the generalized momentum, and one for P dot, which is the time derivative, which makes two differential equations for each generalized coordinate. And you have N generalized coordinates. So you get two N first order differential equations instead of N second order differential equations which are easier to which solve which is easier to solve so that's why when when you're doing systems like you have a pendulum or whatever it'll be easier to solve even though it's not that hard to if you can write the hamiltonian yeah if you use hamiltonian uh, mechanics it'll be in theory easier to solve that's dope yeah and the legendre transformation is basically the hamiltonian is a function of uh, the I'll just say Q for the generalized coordinate and then P for generalized momentum. So P is the partial derivative of the Lagrangian with respect to Q dot. And so what you're doing is you're just rewriting everything in terms of P instead of Q dot. Mm. And so once you switch all of those, then you get, boom, Hamiltonian. Bang. Well, Actually, the Hamiltonian is defined as, like, there's a definition for the Hamiltonian, but in going from L to H, you replace all of those things, and there you go. Bada bang. 
Yeah. That's how you get your Hamiltonian. Yeah. Well, once you have the Hamiltonian, what we did is we quote unquote quantized it. What does that mean? We basically took some variables that are that were part of the Hamiltonian and we just converted them to their quantum parts. So we put some sines, some cosines, because, you know, quantum mechanics loves its periodicities. So uh, that's basically what we did. Now, once the Hamiltonian is quote-unquote quantized, we have now basically transferred our interesting view, like our action in CGHS model, to now a Hamiltonian. With this Hamiltonian, we can now f solve for the equations of motion of, well, the space variables. So there's, there are two major sets of space variables. Now, I think in the actual episode with Dr. Rastegu, hopefully we have it soon, um, he'll explain more about what these variables actually are. I do have it somewhere, but again, I took it last year. So um, it basically my, shoot, I'm kind of trying to remember it, but as I'm trying to remember it, I'm trying to, I'm kind of forgetting it <laughs> because um, basically it's, 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 it's a little complicated because there's one set of variables that's, let's say, subscript X and the other set of variables subscript phi because those are the actual subscripts that we use. And one of them basically describes, damn, I'm, I'm trying to get the good definition, like the way space curves and one of them describes the way, ah, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about it. But they're basically different ways of, of, of saying basically how different parts of space move, right? Just say that. And as you were saying, so there are, three generalized coordinates i believe yes i believe in well in a one plus one d how many i'm i'm sure i know in a one plus one d how many generalized coordinates would they be i kind of forget uh, or for were a they particle two? yes well it, it depends on isn't it like doesn't it depend on degree of freedom degrees of freedom right so in this each case, degree of freedom is one right in this case there is Probably three. In a, in a one plus one, no, I'm, I was sure like in this, in this, that there was either like zero or one degree of freedom because like that was the whole advantage of using this model. There can't be zero. Well, not zero, but like, no, there, there is actually zero in, in like a model to like simplify it. I don't think it's this one, but Damn. anyways, I, as I mentioned, I'm not very proficient with this explanation because it's a little confusing to me as well. So even as I'm trying to explain it, it is a little confusing. So bear with me and I'm sorry for all the listeners out there, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of it as I'm trying to say it. And it's not fantastic. <laughs> but um, again, basically what we did was, uh, again, after we got this Hamiltonian, after we computed the Hamiltonian, we were like, okay, now let's solve the equations of motion. So what? So the, the actual, uh, you know, what we were finding out was if we quantize it in different ways, what are our different results of equations of motion? So we actually tried different quantizations we tried changing different variables multiple times. Again, I can't even really go into the depth of it because I don't myself understand the depth of what we changed. But I can tell you what variables we changed, but that's not really going to help anyone. So uh, we changed multiple things basically to test out which number one equations of motion took the least amount of time to solve because that was obviously a big one as well because some actually took a little bit of time. And number two, which one's kind of, look the cleanest like believe it or not that was actually one of the things that we were looking for simply look the cleanest because sometimes again what we were solving in i should probably have said that so we were using maple very similar to uh what's it called mathematica it's basically like a pde ode solver it's very very proficient and uh, if you give it some real nasty stuff it'll return some real nasty stuff but it'll be right hopefully so yeah obviously 
a lot of a lot of times that we got things wrong, we had to redo it. Obviously, this went over through a good part of the summer, so it was a was back and forth testing different ways to actually quantize the uh, the Hamiltonian, and obviously these these were inspired by reports. These were inspired by our own research and inspired by our own sometimes Google searches. Like, hey, listen, this is another way. So. Basically, cumulative, again, as I mentioned, we didn't actually find, like, we didn't have, have, like, a final, this is the one, but it was kind of just, it was very entertaining to still solve all these different, uh, all these different PDEs and mm. trying to understand a little, because this is actually before I had even taken the PDE class, so I really didn't really understand mm. what was happening, because it was, it's, you know, it's still, it's still pretty cool, in like, high level, but very cool for me still because I was definitely enjoying what I was learning even though I didn't really understand too much of it still enjoyed most of it so yeah that was basically my last summer I really thought I would talk a lot less on that last summer I, I, I didn't expect to talk this much on it but um, again because it was it was a lot of computation just mainly just test test trial test trial test and that was most of it but it was still a very nice wrap-up that I had after you know I, I wrote a nice report summarizing all the stuff that we had done so it was really cool. I had a good refresher. And yeah, that was my basically my last summer. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think, um, you, I think you want to talk about something, right? And so then we yeah, can I shoot back. The second part of my summer, which had to do with uh, data visualization mostly, um, was the bulk of my summer. It's what I made my final poster on, which I had to present to the fellow students and professors in the department. Um, so what was the need uh, for a student to work on this? Basically, the Dragonfly Telescope brings in a lot of data because instead of having one camera that takes pictures, you just have 48, just more. It's inherently just more data. Mm. And what happens is that, okay, the... Um, Dragonfly offers better performance in terms of capturing very dim objects. The trade-off in heightened performance is also heightened complexity. There's more things that can go wrong mm. when you use this apparatus. A 48 lenses, man. Exactly. Of course. There's just more things that can go wrong. Yeah. And so the the team, the Dragonfly team, needed essentially a dashboard that can be referred to for just upkeep and just a way to visualize all of the data coming in from the telescope. And so that's what I got s started on immediately. I started getting used to the, um, there was already a Python package that was written for data reduction. There's a whole data reduction pipeline um, that was created by the Dragonfly team specifically to deal with 48 light images, 48 flat fields, 48 dark images coming in, and then having to create master flats, master darks, correct everything, stitch everything together, and then produce a final night image. Um, there was a whole process for that that was already built. And so in order to kind of capture the essence of this process, I had to go through this whole boot camp where I would learn how the, the entire pipeline works. After that, I started learning about 
how to build an app, how to build a, a dashboard, and then, and then I was left on my own, essentially, to figure out what features should go on the dashboard, what would be useful for people to, you know, open the dashboard and immediately see information that would be pertinent to the daily researcher on the Dragonfly team. And so the first thing I thought about, and one thing that was um, a part of the data reduction pipeline is associating flags to certain images. And flags correspond to simply a problem. And so for each type of image, there's a different number of categories that can arise. Um, and these flags are stored in a binary number where each digit represents either no flag was raised, which is a zero, or a one, which is this flag has been raised. And each position corresponds to a certain flag. For example, in the flat field images, sometimes you'd have the moon that would be in the sky, or sorry, not the flat field ones, the, the light images. The moon would be in the sky, and obviously when you're trying to capture an ultra-diffuse galaxy, and there's a super bright object that is in your field, you will basically be able to see nothing. And so those images will be trash. So having noticing that the moon is in the frame, and being able to flag that to say, you can immediately see, hey, the moon is up, trash these images. Um, that is a pretty useful thing. And that is one, just one flag among many that can be raised in an image. And so one of the features that I added was a bar chart of all of the flags that have been raised. Um, just to be able to see immediately, you, you open up the dashboard, um, it loads up last night's uh, data and you see the the bar chart and it says there are a hundred images that are corrupt immediately you can tell boom that was a bad night <laughs> <laughs> something went wrong but now you need to think a little bit further now you see that okay there are a lot of flags that have been raised but let's say you look a little bit deeper and you see oh there are 10 cameras on the dragonfly ray that have been performing very poorly and by performing poorly i mean flags have been raising every single night the first step is how do you know flags have been raised every single night on that camera well there's an entire um data frame with every single night every single image from every single camera that's ever been taken there's an entire data frame with all that information that is stored on Amazon, the Amazon servers. And so what I do is I import the data from the past, and you can change this number, but let's say five days. I import all this data. And what I can do is I can plot the performance of each camera during the past five days. Now you have a way of checking which cameras have been performing poorly and also what is the track record of these cameras. Let's say you check and you see that one of these cameras has been performing poorly for five days in a row. So you know that this is a recurring issue. It's not just one night something went wrong. It was 
you know, the night there were, there were clouds in the sky. Boom. Mm. Every camera has a bunch of flags that says we can't see anything. But the next night, everything's fine. That is just a transient event. Fine. But if one camera performs poorly 10 nights in a row and then every other camera is performing fine, the first thing that works well in your favor is that you can identify which camera is performing poorly. Via the flag. Sorry? Via the flag. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But you know exactly which camera, which means yeah. that you can tell somebody that is in New Mexico, go fix this Yo, on fix this that. camera. <laughs> That's cool. Right? So that Have is you ever one done that? thing. Have you like no. <laughs> next to someone in Mexico? No. Yo, this one ain't working, mate. Change I haven't it. done that. But that is a use for yeah. the dashboard. Yeah. Now, the second idea is that... <coughs> Jeez. Um, the second idea is that <coughs> you can essentially build a... How do I say this? Not only can you tell which camera has something wrong with it you know exactly what it is and then you have other people on the team who know how to deal with that mm. issue but the entire point of my project is not dealing with the issues it's, it's figuring out a figure out figuring out a way to organize right. the information coming in from the telescope and distributing that information to the people who need to have it what's the most common type of issue it could be. So what's the most common? Really? Like, have you actually run this on the telescope? No, or do I you have. I have. So, what's the most common type of flag that you get? But it, it or changes. Is it just everything? Right? Oh, it, it just changes. It, it changes, right? Right. It's. So wait, it's not like one common thing that always have. Oh, dead, dead pixel. Some of that. Nothing no, like no, that. No no, 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 no. It's. It's also forty-eight individual CCDs, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, obviously. What am yeah. I saying? Yeah. And it's all, yeah, all circular. Sorry. No, that's a stupid question. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> stupid question. Um, so I'm trying to think about the other uh, charts that I had. Um, oh, yeah. Right. So data visualization, I had a bunch of charts that were put up and a bunch of things that you could check about the telescope, about the cameras, about the performance of the telescope, etc. <coughs> now the idea is how do you... Um, how do you work in this dashboard to the workflow of the Dragonfly team? And we came up with creating a Slack bot. Nice. And so I spent about maybe like three weeks learning the Slack API and figuring out how to make a bot that will run the dashboard, will get the information from the dashboard, and will send it through Slack. It took you three weeks to figure out the Slack API. Yeah, I, no, I can't even imagine. It is, no, that, no, that must it be is complicated. Well. Yeah, no, I can imagine. It is complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've um, dealt with API. It's it's annoying. It's uh, I can't. Yeah. I don't know what Slack is like, but by the way, Slack is a messaging <coughs> platform for those of you that might not heard of Slack. Yeah. I don't know if it's you can send that like, well messages to a group. Yeah, and but it's, it's pretty business oriented, is, like very formal, business. like it is a business formal. student, like it's a very upkeep, very very organized. Yeah, you know, yeah. very high level messaging platform. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I had to figure out how to send messages, not only messages, but messages that contain the information that you wanted mm. to see. Right. So if I wanted to see the data 
from a specific night? How do I get the bot to spit that out? So on, on the Slack? bot, I can be like, day this, day this. Yeah. Nice. And also, uh, the bot also posts the images of the charts that you would see on the dashboard. And so you can actually tell the bot, there are a few commands. One command is just update. And update will take last night's data. Nice. And it will give you all the information that you need to know. Yeah. Um, but just like the surface level information, if you want to know more, obviously, you'd have to go on the dashboard and see what's up over there. Dashboard online or? Yeah, it's yeah. online. Um, is it like public? I don't think it's public right now. Is it like stop via GitHub or something or what? It's on GitHub. Um, like the, the code for it is on GitHub. But it, I don't think it's uh, public. Mm. And also, well, that's cool. And also, Regardless. even if you wanted to, you wouldn't be able to go and run that code from GitHub because you need access to a Python package. Oh, which is only by you. Or which something? is no, it's locked oh. on a private repo, which is owned by the Dragonfly team. So why would they not let you? Well, they gave me access. No, obviously. <clears throat> but I'm saying, like, what, would they not want the public to? No, there's a lot of stuff on there that. Uh, you don't want to be public. <laughs> okay. No, like there's there's like things that, you know, <clears throat> if you run a multi-million dollar project, you don't want to just <laughs> give everybody your source code, you know? I guess you're kind of correct in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're kind of correct in that. Yeah. I see that. Well, that's pretty cool, man. So, so like so that was kind of like a conclusion to your... Yeah, so that's... I, I finished the Slack bot and then I uh, made my presentation. I gave the presentation and then the last... Like the last few days, I just um, put everything on GitHub. Well, I was putting it on GitHub throughout the year, <clears throat> except um, I wasn't really paying attention to it. So I made some nice readme files for those repos so that people can go in and and uh, not be confused. Not be confused. That's cool. Well, yeah. that's fantastic. Kind of a wrap up to your summer, yeah. so I think I can just like brush over maybe what I did this summer again. Not not as intense whatsoever, but it was as I said more more relaxed, more fun. Mm -hmm. So I joined the uh, aerospace team at U of T. Really cool team. They have a bunch of sub subsections. They have like a space subsystems. So if you wanted to work for like for example, they're launching a satellite this year, so that's pretty cool. Brett. Our friend, who is also on the podcast, is actually working on it, <laughs> which really? is pretty cool. Yeah, because he, he knows, like, GIS, with, like, surveying software, and, like, not anyone else does. <laughs> so he's going to help him out, which is really cool. Uh, then there's another subsection, which is propulsion. Uh, sorry, uh, rocketry, where I am. There's another one, which is... I forget. Damn, this is bad. <laughs> there's another subsection that I forget. But basically... Um, I was really interested in rocketry. I've always been interested in rockets. I mean, which kid interested in science isn't, or at least that's how I thought. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I actually wasn't that interested no. in rockets. <laughs> well, damn. <laughs> so I think I've told my history of Kerbal Space Program on this podcast before. So that definitely ignited, pun intended, <laughs> my, uh, my interest into rockets. So, um, yeah, I got on that team, you know, started doing some cool stuff, just getting involved a little bit into, you know, what they're really doing, just a little little understanding of, you know, what the team does. And they do a lot of things, believe me. Every single part, like there's a sub part to a sub part to a sub part. 
and that person probably has someone doing something for them. So it's like that deep because everyone has something to do and there's always something to do. For example, this year they launched their first hybrid rocket. Very, very proud to say, again, I wasn't a part of this, but very proud to say that they were the first Canadian school to launch a hybrid rocket, I think. Wow. Yeah. Or, yes, yes. First Canadian school to launch a hybrid. Or like, or first Canadian school to do something big and I'm 99% sure it's launch a hybrid <laughs> rocket. So, anyway, <laughs> not 100% sure. But I'm pretty sure it's to launch a hybrid rocket. So, um, so yeah. A lot about rockets. Um, what I did was uh, we actually built our own rockets, much smaller, about a meter high. Uh, like model rockets, basically, just to get our L1 certification. I think I've spoken about this before. It's basically a, certi uh, a certificate that says, hey, you've flown a rocket before. But number two, it allows you to buy a certain class of rocket motor and up for your own recreational flying. Obviously, if you go in select areas. But if you want to just fly a rocket, for example, and I wanted to buy an H motor, I would need to be like H or H or an I motor. I would need to be L1 certified. So... There's a limit, obviously. I'm, I'm sure that makes sense, right? Uh, like, basically, after a certain amount of thrust, you need to be but like, okay, I know what I'm doing here. So making the rocket was really fun. Uh, spent a good, what, a month, two months on it. Uh, I think, I don't know if I've spoken about it on the podcast, but uh, I should definitely show it on the podcast one time. It, it's really cool. Mm. Uh, painted it Ferrari colors, so it's really <laughs> sick. Really, really sick. Um, a lot of sanding. Remember, whenever you're making a model rocket, for those of you that have made a model rocket, Definitely enjoy the sanding. I have made my own set of smaller ones before, but never anything so big. Um, so basics with rockets, I think we can just go over just like a little basics. Um, I, I think like the most important thing about rockets is just understanding a little bit about a little bit about how they work. For example, like you know, why are there fins? Or some some rockets don't have fins, you know. So you may be asking yourself that question. Some are solid rockets, some are hybrid rockets, some are liquid rockets, all these different names. So we launched solid rockets. Solid is the easiest. It's usually aluminum, like a mixture of aluminum or like ammonium perchlorate, or it's basically just like the solid mixture that when uh, you basically run this uh, electrical charge from far away and you just run an electrical charge that just kind of heats it up, basically creates like a large temperature differential. So it just forces the uh forces the grain or whatever the actual material is to combust and then you have like this nose cone like combustion chamber that kind of you know juts all the uh well all the combusted material out and that basically makes your solid rocket motor so that was pretty cool learning a little bit about you know because we actually got to use it this time a little bit about how the delay charge works because remember when it's up there, it's not just going to float down, right? Like, it's going to be coming down at terminal velocity. I, I don't know if it comes down at terminal velocity. Maybe not terminal, but it's still pretty fast. And um, There's a lot of... Because it's light, right? Because so, it is light. That's what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. it's not like really that... It's cardboard after all, right? It's not really terrible. But um, yeah, it's, that, it's still coming down fast. So you want a parachute. But when do you launch the parachute? <laughs> so you got to wait for a little bit. So uh, a, a little theory. No, no, it's a delay charge. So what we did is we kind of tested some of our other people's rockets <laughs> to see how long we would have to wait. <laughs> it was pretty bad, but that's the best way to do it, right? So what you, you want to do is 
You take I mean, yeah, no, of course. Like our simulations set a certain amount of time, but the simulations are not always one to one accurate. You might want to add a little bit more. That's what I'm. No, case. usually we want to. Well, yeah, because you never want to subtract because you never want it to go off apogee, yeah. right? Yeah. So your ideal parachute position or parachute deployment for this size rocket. Remember, for this size rocket. If you have a bigger rocket, then you have like a drogue parachute and like a bigger one, and that's like that's a little bit different. <coughs> for for like a smaller size rocket after apogee, which is like um, highest point in the orbit, I don't think it's at apogee, or is it at apogee? All right, I think it's like a few seconds. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. So motor burnout occurs at X, right? Then apogee occurs a little bit after. So I think yeah, you, ideally you want to get it at apogee. Why? Because your velocity is the lowest. I'm assuming that's why you would want to get it at Apogee. So the deployment of your chute, theoretically, should be the safest. So again, after the motor burns out, there's this delay charge. So from the time that your motor starts burning, uh, there, there's no... Oh, by the way, Im important thing about a motor. Really cool way that a motor works. You might <laughs> think... <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just adding a few things of knowledge that I have from here and there. As the motor runs out of, well, propellant, right? The center of mass of that motor is changing. And therefore, the center of mass of your rocket is also changing. Now, one very important thing about stability, rocket stability. This is like rocket 101, basics of lift. I think this is, I think we've said this before, but the center of pressure or the center of lift has to always be behind or like downwind of your center of mass. That kind of makes sense, right? Because Remember, it's always rotating about the center of mass. So if you have your thrusters at the bottom here, it's going to want to rotate. Oh, I wish. How do I say this for audio? It's, it's going to want to rotate upwind like, because your thrusters are pointing upwind. So if your center of pressure, which is what? Which is basically the center at which all the aerodynamic forces are acting, basically, like your center of lift. If your center of lift is behind the center of mass, then it's literally going to be counteracting that torque because the pressure, because the, the the booster is going to want to is going to want to you know force it upwind. But because the wind is going because the wind is going down, and because the center of pressure is behind the center of mass, it's going to kind of stabilize itself. I don't know how good of an explanation that was. Hopefully that was decent. But basically, a core uh, tip or a core rule, not even tip, rule in rockets is if you want a stable rocket. Or a stability is literally defined as the distance from the center of mass to the center of pressure. So center of mass, ideal, I mean, always being in front. If it's not, it's negative, and then you have negative stability, so then you, it doesn't work. Rocket literally just, it just won't fly. So it's the center of mass minus the center of pressure over the diameter of the rocket. So that's basically giving your stability factor. So the larger the diameter of your rocket, the, the, the smaller the stability. But the larger the distance between your center of mass and center of pressure, the larger your stability. So stability is like one of the most important things in all of aerodynamics because that's basically how things fly, right? Even with planes. Now, there was a rumor, or I don't know if it's a rumor, but like there was a thing where like the, the engines are placed ahead. Like, you know how engines are in, in like planes are like, ahead of the wings, like very clearly ahead. My original, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I always originally thought that it was because of this whole thing, because those center of mass has to be ahead, sorry, uh, has to be ahead of center of lift. So if it's, if the, if the engines, which are obviously much heavier than the wings are ahead 
of the wings, that means again, upwind of the wings, then it should st it should be stable. But I don't actually think it's because of that. I, I read somewhere that that's not true. So if someone wants to do some research and put it in the comments or shoot us a DM, I would be very interested in knowing if, uh, if, if this thing is actually true. But again, center of mass, center of lift, core thing in all of aerodynamics. That's a cool thing that I learned this summer. Then, um, yeah, as I was saying with the rocket motor, sorry, I'm going everywhere. But uh, as the rocket motor is burning, there are multiple pellets that actually burn. It's not just one huge thing. Why? Because if the one huge thing burned, then the center of mass would be changing quite rapidly, right? Because the motor is quite heavy in regards to, I mean, not quite heavy, but it's, it's significantly heavy, especially when you're dealing with a cardboard rocket. So when you're dealing with this rocket and the motor is starting to burn all this propellant, the center of mass is increasingly going downwind. So closer and closer to the center of pressure and therefore less and less stable. So that is why there are actually multiple different pellets in all of these solid rocket motors and they burn at the same time. So the way that the charge is ignited is think about like, think about two different uh, cylindrical blocks. There are actually three in the one that we launched, but think about two cylindrical blocks. If they're both ignited at the same time, the center of mass difference than igniting the whole thing is much less. So in total, the stability is somewhat preserved because obviously, eventually, it is going to drain. So we have to think about that. So eventually, as the solid motor completely drains, we have to make sure that the center of mass is still very much ahead of the center of pressure. So that's like arrow 101 that... Well, I didn't really learn it this year, but I guess like I applied it this year. So that was really cool. And um, yeah, a bunch of more UTAT stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm more into UTAT this year, so or UTAT being the aerospace team. So uh, let's see how that goes. But uh, mainly just mainly just a cool, cool set of rocket stuff. We went all the way to New York to launch it. Really sad story, but I'm not going to get into it right now. But we went all the way to New York to launch it. It was, kind, it was a lot of fun, super experience. And uh, in October, we're actually going to be launching our L2s, which is, well, a bigger motor. Yeah. So that's nice. going to be fun. Cool. So, yeah, that's basically our summers. I think that wrapped up most of it. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking for quite a while. We haven't done this in quite a while. Mm -hmm. So it's been an interesting experience. We're going to try to get a podcast out next week as well. I think we. So we're we're committing to weekly. I think we'll try weekly. We'll try. We'll one try weekly. weekly. See, school hasn't started yet, so I mean it has. We ain't kind of started. It has actually fully. I just had some assignments to do like this whole week, but school has definitely started, but it hasn't really. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the assignments haven't really gotten crazy. I don't know. We'll see. So we'll see. Uh, for now, I think we'll release it weekly if possible. Yeah. Yes. The, right. uh, like our schedule is weekly, but if it's not weekly, don't get annoyed because it might just be because we're busy. Yep. So there's that. Well, everybody who has listened to this podcast, yeah. thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, this is 107, 107. Wow. 107 episodes. Uh, thank you so much to everybody. Make sure to follow on Spotify and rate five stars. Why not? Why not? Leave a, leave a five-star review. We love those reviews. They're nice to see. Love them. Um, 
other than that, subscribe. Maybe leave a comment if you want to be comment of the week. And uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we'll see you soon. Bye, guys.